Today we pause to remember and celebrate the most significant series of events in the lives of all of those who call themselves Christians. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God fulfilled the task God the Father sent him to earth to accomplish. Jesus laid down his life as the all-sufficient sacrifice in the place of human sinners. This is what the cross shows. Jesus, the only man to ever live a perfect life, a life without any sin, took the judgment of God against us in order to give us eternal life. In a nutshell, this is the gospel that in Jesus, God has paid the price and the penalty of our sin, providing us lasting forgiveness and a reconciled relationship with our maker forever. It's good news. And oh, how I wish churches could gather in large numbers today, for this is a day church buildings see record crowds of folks coming together to observe Easter, the day that marks Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But maybe, just maybe, maybe more folks will hear and believe this good news today from their homes Uh, from their living rooms and their patios and porches, from their bar stools and basements and backyards than would have been the case if large church buildings would be gathered with people. I don't know. God knows. Friends, God knows. And God is at work. I want you to hear today that Jesus is alive and he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. Jesus is alive And he gives eternal life to all of those who believe in him. You know, over the last few days, COVID-19 has continued to spread. Although several models uh, have been revised midweek showing that far fewer are forecasted to, to pass from this virus than the week before show. That's good news. In fact, one Washington Post headline read this way. Toll may not match our worst fears. Officials see hopeful signs as deaths mount. I want you to hear a hopeful sign this morning. I want you to hear a hopeful sign today. And that sign is a resurrected Savior. Jesus Christ is alive and he is well. You know by now we're not able to gather in one place. We're still practicing social distancing. We're gathering on our own. We're worshiping separate yet together in, in heart and in unity, worshiping the Lord. We're not gathering today because, because we don't want to put lives at risk. You see, because God values life, we must value life. We, we ought to grieve any loss of life and we ought to strive to stop it. Life is precious in God's eyes, which is why he sent his son to be our savior. So that you and me and whosoever will turn to him in faith will receive eternal life. For those who trust in Jesus, his death is our salvation. Church, this is why we can call the Friday before Easter good. Those that were gathered in Jerusalem that day didn't see it that way. In the mind of one of Jesus' false friends, his death meant financial gain, 30 pieces of silver to be exact. In the minds of the Roman soldiers, his death meant just another execution of a criminal. 
In the minds of the self-righteous religious elite of the day, his death meant the removal of an obstacle. But in the minds of his closest friends and followers, Jesus' death meant, meant great loss. You see, Jesus' closest friends failed to understand that Jesus was born to die, that this was why he came, that this was God's plan from the beginning. Knowing that creatures would rebel against him, that they would reject him and disobey him, the creator had predetermined a way to mend a broken relationship between a holy God and a sinful humanity. So that we, so that we could spend forever in his presence, so that we could enjoy his glorious presence and intimate fellowship with God himself forever and ever, a new and restored creation with no sickness, no sorrow, and no death. Only a perfect relationship with God and with one another. You see, this is what we were made for. And this is what we lost in the garden. As the crown of God's creation, human beings were made to enjoy a relationship with God. And we were made to exercise dominion over the rest of God's creation. And when we sinned, that was broken. It was lost. When our ancestors who who represented us rejected God, the world began to spiral into chaos, albeit still under the sovereign hand and control of the Almighty God. But sickness and sorrow, disease, depression, and death disrupted God's perfect kingdom on earth. Sin has consequences. And we're we're feeling this today. A, A worldwide pandemic that shouts to us, you are not in control. Everything is not all right here. There's much good in the world. But even so, the world is bruised, it's battered, it's broken. It's in need of restoration. And friends, I want you to hear me loud and clear today. Jesus Christ provides that restoration. Jesus provides our restoration. We are waiting today. We're, we're waiting alongside the rest of the world. The world is waiting today. We're, we're waiting on a vaccine. We're waiting on a cure for the coronavirus. We're waiting for the curve to peak and then begin to fall back the other way. Waiting on the economy to stabilize. We're waiting on the restrictions to be lifted. All good things. All things we want, we long for, we hope for, but what we ought to be waiting on and longing for more than anything else is the return of our Savior and King. Return of Jesus. You see, Jesus is alive. Friends, he is alive and well today. He he willingly gave his life for us, and he was miraculously raised back to life by the power of God and according to the will of God, showing that he was indeed the coming Savior sent from God. Son of God, who is the fullness of God in human flesh, sent to save those in the world estranged from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Does it mean that we won't face disease? doesn't mean that we won't face depression. It doesn't mean that we won't face sorrow and heartache and tragedy and even death here in this life. But ultimately, the word of God says, for those that believe in Jesus, death does not have the final word. 
Those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is alive, and he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. That, this, is why, this is why Jesus came. He came to rescue and to restore. He, he came to give hope beyond this life to those who put their faith in him. You see, the crowds that welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday soon rejected him because they misunderstood his mission. Even his own friends and followers failed to realize that God's kingdom would only be restored through his death. And so when Jesus was crucified, they grieved over him. Sure, they they had come to believe that he was the Messiah, but, but now that he has died, what did this mean for them? What were they to do now? How were they to carry on? Their spirits were crushed and their hopes for God's perfect kingdom to be restored must have felt unlikely or even impossible at Friday that Jesus hung on the cross. But then, Sunday morning, you know about Sunday morning. Sunday morning happened. Something extraordinary happened. Mary Magdalene, a friend and follower of Jesus, went to the tomb to anoint her Lord's body. And upon arriving, she discovered that someone had been tampering with the tomb. And distraught over someone taking Jesus' body, she runs to Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends and followers, and they then race to the tomb and find it filled with nothing more than empty grave clothes. Mary wept. The Bible says in John chapter 20 that that Mary wept, wondering what has happened to her Lord. And then her Lord appears in his resurrected body. And once she realizes who it is, she goes and she tells the other disciples what she has seen. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine? I've seen Jesus. She quietly shouts. I know it's, it's crazy, but it's true. He's alive. And then John tells us that same day, that same resurrection Sunday evening, Jesus appears to his disciples. He shows them his wounds. In John chapter 20, verse 20, the disciples are filled with joy. They're overjoyed. They're, they're filled with joy because they had not understood what Jesus was doing by going to the cross. They're filled with joy because they now know and believe that Jesus saves sinners and rules over death itself. They now know that Jesus is alive and that he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. They know this. They know this. Except for one. One that we know as Doubting Thomas, who for whatever reason, we don't know why, was not with the disciples that Sunday evening when the resurrected Jesus showed up. Thomas's response is, I'll believe it when I see it. Ever said those words? When the kids at my house say that they've cleaned up their room, I think, I'll believe it when I see it. When my lovely wife suggests a home improvement project and she looks at me and says, honey, it's not that hard. I'll help you. I chuckle and say, I'll believe it when I see it. Or when I hear just before dinner time, 
let's go out to eat tonight. We'll, we'll eat at home the rest of the week. Of course, I'll believe it when I see it. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And friends, like Thomas, we want proof that Jesus is alive. We want proof that that Jesus is alive. You know, before we're too hard on Thomas, can you blame him? The the other disciples saw Jesus' resurrected body, and then they believed. Thomas is only asking for the same opportunity that they've already been given. He, He just didn't know that this Jesus, this Lord of all creation, was aware of his doubts and would appear to him soon in just the way that he has already done so with the others. Apparently, Jesus has been listening to them. Apparently, Jesus knows all things, and he hears all things. A week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas and the other apostles got proof that Jesus is alive. You and I have not seen the risen Jesus, but we are called to believe based upon the witness of those who did. You see, the witness of the apostles is evidence that Jesus is alive. The witness of the apostles is evidence that Jesus is alive. An apostle is someone who is sent by God. In a sense, every follower of Jesus, every Christian is an apostle called and sent by Jesus to proclaim good news. But in another sense, we are not apostles. In another sense, the word apostle is referring to the original 12 disciples, minus uh, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, plus a guy named Matthias who took his place, and then later, Paul the apostle. The Bible teaches that God's people, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And the function of both an apostle and a prophet was to proclaim the word of the Lord. Both were called to bear witness to God's truth, even in the face of opposition. An opposition they faced. You know, many folks are hurting today. Many folks are dealing with a variety of of emotions. Some are afraid. Some are panicked. Some are grieving. Some are lonely and depressed. Some are concerned. Some are wondering how they're going to pay their bills, how they're going to receive an income once again. I want you to know that the path of human history is paved by people, both unbelievers and believers who have faced hardship before us, who have faced adversity, who have faced challenge, who have faced difficulty, even death. You see, these apostles, these original 12 disciples were, were no strangers to difficulty. These believers who followed after Christ encountered persecution and ridicule, and rejection, even death, for speaking the truth about Jesus. In fact, every one of these original disciples, with the exception of one, 
was killed for preaching that Jesus is alive. These men gave their lives to spread the news that Jesus is alive and he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. And they could do so joyfully. In fact, there are other accounts in the New Testament where these disciples counted it a joy and a privilege to face opposition, even suffering for the name of Jesus. They could do so joyfully with eyes fixed on another place, a better place, a future home. They recognized and understood that this was not their permanent dwelling place. Think about this for just a moment. For just a moment. Who is willing to give his life for something he doesn't believe in? You know, first responders risk their lives on a regular basis to protect us. Right now, medical professionals are risking their lives to care for and serve the rest of us in a time of uncertainty. And they're doing so, I think, because they believe life is valuable and worth sustaining. And likewise, these apostles who witnessed Christ's agonizing death on a cross now believed, they now knew that he is alive, and so they spent their days telling others to believe in him. They spent their days proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, and then he gives life to those who put their faith in him. Like Thomas, we want proof that Jesus is alive. And here we have the witness of the disciples compiled in this book, all testifying that our Savior is alive. That yes, he, he went to the cross on Friday, but that unlike every other crucified criminal before or after him, he arose on Sunday morning, that he is risen. That even though it defies history and reason and logic and science and medicine, Jesus of Nazareth defeated death by dropping his grave clothes and walking straight out of the tomb on Sunday morning. Hear me this morning. The life of Jesus is a miracle. His life is a miracle. There there is no other explanation. Jesus showed the wounds in his hands and the nails and the hole in his side from the spear that pierced him, proving that he was the same one who was beaten and bruised and battered and broken and killed on a cross. And you say, how can that be? People aren't raised from the dead. This is not the way things happen. That's the very point. Jesus was not simply a good teacher. Jesus was not simply a compassionate friend of sinners. No, he was and is the fullness of God in human flesh, the creator of life who became a creature in order to do for us what we could never do on our own. No one else has ever lived a sinless life like Jesus did. Friends, his life is a miracle, a miracle that calls for faith in him. Do you have faith in him? Do you believe in him? Jesus said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Thomas, seeing his Lord, said, my Lord and my God. Showing us that belief in Jesus is personal and it is confessional. Belief in Jesus is personal and confessional. Thomas's words to Jesus here are one of the strongest statements in the Bible about the deity of Jesus. Thomas is declaring that his friend is both Lord, he is master, he is sovereign. Even, I think, saying that that he is Yahweh. He is the Lord who made himself known to his people in the Old Testament, and he is God. To our knowledge, no one had ever previously addressed Jesus this way. He is Lord, and he is God. But not just in general terms. 
Thomas says he is my Lord. He is my God. In other words, he is not just the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord of my life. He is my master. He is not just God. He is my God, the one I worship. Friend, is he the one you worship? Is he your God? Do you claim him as Lord? Do you bow before him? Do you sing his praises? Do you live your life to serve him? You see, my, my two-year-old knows the name Jesus. He, he knows, I think, that Jesus is important. I, I think he even would say the Bible is about Jesus. He loves to sing, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But my two-year-old doesn't know Jesus as his Lord. He, he doesn't know Jesus as his God. No, I... Pray that one day he dies. But friends, there's a vast difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus as your Lord and your God. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your God? Is your faith in him? You see, you and I are invited to know him. We're invited to believe in him and to trust him for true life. But it's going to require faith. Belief in Jesus requires faith. John chapter 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe? Is Jesus talking about you? Do you believe? I mean, really believe that this man who walked the dusty streets of Galilee 2,000 years ago is the same God who made you and who loves you and who calls you to faith in him today. Do you believe that he rules and reigns on the throne of heaven even now and that he sustains the universe by his powerful word, that he has the cure for the coronavirus and the cure for cancer? Do you believe that he is the creator and the ruler over all of life, but also the one who knows what it's like to be alone? Who knows what it's like to be abandoned and forgotten, to be bruised and battered and to be broken. See, the truth is, I've never seen Jesus, not like these disciples did. And chances are, neither have you. But we don't have any less reason than these first Christians to believe in Jesus as Lord and as God. In fact, their very mission was to honor Jesus by calling us to believe. Do you believe? In fact, John, the human author of this story, pauses after this story. After telling how Jesus appeared to Mary and how he appeared to the disciples, how he appeared to Thomas, John pauses in order to tell us about his whole purpose for writing at all. And listen to what he says in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John was one of those which are not recorded in this book. In other words, John says uh, there were many other things Jesus did that I'm not telling you about. He did other things. He said other things. He performed other miracles. But these are written, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, this is why I'm writing this account. 
This is why I'm writing this book that we now know as a 21-chapter gospel. John is writing this story so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life, eternal life in his name. All the miracles John records were so that we might hear and respond to the truth about Jesus the Christ. You've heard the truth today. How will you respond? Do you doubt? Or do you believe? Jesus has stopped doubting and believe. Jesus is alive and he gives eternal life to all those who believe in him. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? See, your Lord. See, your God. Well, friend, if, if he is, If you know Jesus as your Lord and your God, let me encourage you to praise him today. To worship a risen Savior on this Lord's Day, on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Day, to acknowledge that he is alive and well and sitting on his throne and that he is worthy of his praise, of your praise, and that he has given his life on the cross of Calvary that you might be forgiven and have life in him. Praise him today. In just a few moments, as we sing here, let me encourage you to sing there. Sing praises to him. Exalt him with your lips. Honor him in your heart. Worship him today, believers, for he is worthy of your praise. But I'd be short-sighted if I didn't acknowledge that there very well are some who are likely watching who have not acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're struggling, maybe you're seeking, maybe you've heard this before and, and, and you're curious, you don't know, you're, you're like Thomas, you, you don't know if you believe this or not. You want proof that Jesus is who he says he is or who the Bible says that he is or who believers say that he is. Well, if that is you, let me, let me encourage you. Let me ask you to pray. Let me ask you to pray sincerely honestly, in humility before God and say, God, show me. I'm not sure that I believe this about your supposed son, Jesus the Christ, but I want to believe the truth. Would you help me see the truth? I want to to know the truth. Pray and ask God to show you. I think he will. But perhaps there's another category of people. Maybe there are some who are watching or participating in worship today and And you could honestly say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've heard this story before. Perhaps not. Perhaps you've heard it for the first time today. But Jesus has not been your Lord and your God. But you believe in him. You want to put your faith in him. Let me invite you where you are this morning to cry out to him to save you. To acknowledge before God that you are a sinner. That you've done a lot of stuff. You've thought things. You've done things that offend him. Some you're aware of. Others you're not even aware of. Acknowledge to him that you're a sinner and that, that you need a savior. And confess to him today, this morning, that Jesus is that savior, that you want him to be your savior and your Lord, that you want to follow after him and to worship him and to live your life for his glory. Bow before him. Express your faith in him. Turn to him for life and salvation. And friend, if that is you, Just a bit later in our service, in just a few moments, we're going to have 
a way that you can contact us on the screen, the phone number, email address. We, we want to hear from you. If you're part of another church fellowship, then you let the leadership, you let the pastors of that church know about this decision that you have made. But if you're not part of a church family or you're part of this church family, you attend here or associate with Meadowbrook Baptist, you let us know. We want to know so that we can praise God with you, so that we can pray for you, so that we can come alongside you and grow with you for the glory of God and the good of his church. You let us know. We want to hear from you. But may all of us be a people, brothers and sisters who bow before King Jesus, who sing his praises and live our lives for his glory. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, we come before you now. And we give you thanks for your goodness and for your grace. Father, we thank you for your mercy that is extended to us through the cross of Calvary, through Jesus' sacrifice, through his, his body broken and his blood shed for us. Father, you are so gracious to us. Lord, we believe that Jesus is alive, that he is well, that he is on the throne, and that he is worthy of our praise that he is a beautiful Savior and a loving Lord. And so, Lord, even now, as we sing your praises, hear our praise and be exalted in us. Be glorified in your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.